Hey, this is Guy Yug Blomberg, and you're listening to the Defrag Podcast. for every gig everywhere. My name is Daniel Kipping. It is the 3rd of July 2016 and this is episode 4. The past few weeks have been super hectic. Um, That is of course the way we like it uh, but we've got quite a bit to cover off on. So we're talking E3, we're talking media toy sales, we're talking the impending release of Batman The Killing Joke. We're going to be talking about BerserkerCon and so much more. It's an absolutely packed episode and to help me wade through this enormous amount of content uh, as per usual is the co-editor over at loadscreen.com.au buffering up the latest in gaming news it's tom heath how are you tom hey i'm pretty good daniel and hey everybody else hope we're all going well <laughs> yeah no really well really well uh joining us is michael dolly creator of the popular lego fan site brickingaround.com if you're after australian lego news you're probably going to want to chat to this guy hey michael how's it going yeah good how are you good mate good we also have uh, Mal Briggs, uh, a co-founder of Impact Comics in Canberra, one of Australia's largest uh, comics retailers. Arguably, well, would you say would you say the largest, Mal? Pretty close. Pretty close. Uh, we're, we're we're giving it a shake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we don't have Kyle. I don't know where Kyle is. Somewhere. And finally, we have our guest panel member for the month. He's the content manager for both PAX Oz and Oz Comic Con. You may have seen him walking around the show floor if you've been to one of those. Known to many in the industry simply as Yug. It's Guy Blomberg. Welcome, Guy. How are you, mate? Hello. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me on. I'm, I'm in high spirits. <laughs> I've got no idea what you mean by that. I have no idea. Look... We'll get started. I mean, we'll get stuck in. There's a lot to talk about. So uh, in the immortal words of the Black Eyed Peas, let's get it started in here. And what better way to do so to cover off on arguably the most highly anticipated trade show of the year, E3. The Electronics Entertainment Expo ran from June 14th through 16th. It was a little over a week ago now. Well, a couple of weeks ago now. Goodness, the time's flown. Uh, and of course, Tom Heath has it covered. Tom, it was a huge few days. I'm sure you would have had a couple of sleepless nights. But how about we start with um, something big like Microsoft's Project Scorpio? Yeah, that was probably, if we had to go with newsworthiness mm. <laughs> out of everything out of the Expo, uh, Xbox's forward plan with uh, their new console ecosystem is very, very fascinating. There's still a lot we don't know, but there's also a lot we do know. So it's, ah, uh, it, we're, we're, the community still seems split on this one. Anyway, mm. in a nutshell, Xbox announced not one, but two new models yes. of the Xbox One. Um, I guess starting off with the less exciting one is the Xbox One S, which mm. is due out in August. Uh, By the end of August, I don't think we have a confirmed date on that one yet, at least not one that I've come across. Basic difference, it's it's essentially a slimline model. Uh, It's about 40% smaller than the original Xbox One, and, you know, the original Xbox One's like an unwieldy VCR (laughs) in terms of its size. Um, So that's a welcome addition. Uh, But it also supports 4K video output. Mm. Um, Yeah, which is pretty cool. I think it's going to be jumping on, you know, 4K Blu-rays, which have just started hitting the shelves in places like JB Hi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Also features high dynamic range color, uh, which a lot of new 4K TVs jump on too. But in terms of games, Gaming performance is apparently fairly similar, but it's Project Scorpio. Mm, so mm. I, I, I have to jump in here, actually. If, if yeah, I sure, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. 
Are we actually excited about this? I mean, do we, don't we actually? Does this not feel like the uh, the iPhone methodology? Mm. It's like, oh, it's the same one. We'll just add yeah. the S to it, and it's slightly better, slightly very better much, graphics and colors and whatnot. Yeah, very much a point I, uh, that yeah I want to get into. <laughs> I want to outline both of them because yeah, right. I'm I'm a little bit like while I'm coming around to the idea, I still find myself personally in the camp of I don't like consoles doing this. But yeah, I suppose like I'll I'll outline that point in a sec because. The Project Scorpio one is something to be more excited about than the 1S. We haven't got firm <laughs> details on the hardware, but they have confirmed it is a jump ahead. I believe they, they, they what they're boasting, mm, <laughs> okay, yes. what Xbox yeah. are boasting, is that it will run games in 4K resolutions natively, mm-hmm, okay. support VR devices. They didn't elaborate as to which, though maybe one could imagine the Oculus or the Vive, mm-hmm. given their PC platform oriented. And that it would boast six teraflops of graphics power. Now, for a bit of comparison, the current Xbox One runs at about 1.3 teraflops. That's quite a substantial jump. Um, so That's a lot yeah. of flops. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, All the flops. To explain what a teraflop does. It goes a little over my head. Yeah. yeah uh, no. uh, but there's five more of them. Yay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, it's an interesting point, um, and I'll... I'll extend on what uh, Yug started to mention there was the uh, similar to the Intel methodology where they used the tick and the tock architecture. So they'd release one CPU and it would be sort of the um, the flagship, so to speak. And then six or several months later, um, they would release the, the, the tock counterpart, which was uh, built on the same new foundation as the tick model, but it would have some enhancements, maybe some you know performance increases. Maybe it might um, be a little more efficient with power. Are we going to start seeing this with consoles? It's you know, obviously uh, Sony announced a similar, um, yeah, seemingly Sony, similar framework. What, what, I mean, is this yeah, Sony's framework. They haven't gone to the the, the point that Microsoft has. Like they, no. it wasn't part of their E3. Uh, but just prior to E3, Andrew House, uh, one of the Sony PlayStation executives, confirmed that they are working on a similar concept, a 0.5 upgrade mm. of the PlayStation 4, and that's as far as he went. So all the rumors we've seen of its hardware its teraflops boosts and all that sort of stuff are unconfirmed yeah. uh but yes it seems to be that the the whole the 0.5 generation thing is happening you've just all got all these companies that are releasing new consoles that aren't actually releasing brand new consoles they're just like slightly incremental increases over mm. what we what we currently have my biggest concern is actually if there's new technology or games for these new 0.5 consoles that can't be played on the original ones that's a little bit unfair. I don't particularly want to buy a, you know, a, a Xbox 1.5 to sit next to your Xbox <laughs> One. But also, just to go back to it, the console manufacturers have been doing this for years. Even if you look back at like the uh, the Mega Drive, so I think there was the Mega Drive and the Mega Drive Two, yes. and only the Mega Drive Two could actually be integrated into the the, the Sega CD setup. So, sort of. like, there, there's pre-existing conditions that are around like the the semi-upgraded consoles but never so blatantly as this have they actually promoted the hardware upgrade to say that actually gives a significant boost to the games themselves Mm. and that's fascinating they've tried to preempt that backlash as well by a big part of uh, microsoft's presentation of project scorpio was the the constant phrase of no one gets left behind (laughs) very american (laughs) <laughs> yeah, all the games, all the hardware, ISO controllers, Connect, all that sort of stuff uh, are said to be compatible across all three 
consoles. So the One, the One S, and whatever Scorpio turns out to be. I really hope it's called Hank. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the, the idea across that, I feel... I've, I've thought a lot about this since it came out, and it feels very much like they uh, console manufacturers, so PlayStation and uh, Microsoft specifically really want to go the PC route mm. here where there's more frequent upgrades but games are playable across a wide range of hardware at a varying quality. But the problem that comes with that, I, I feel console games are going to have to start getting graphics settings uh, because if you keep, I don't know, it's a really hard sort of idea to explain, but if the newer hardware, if the games are designed for Scorpio and they just barely work, on the original one, but just enough so as it's not like against consumer law to sell it. Mm. <laughs> I feel that's a bit of a middle finger. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So if you can, if you can uh, equalize the frame rate, I suppose, because the frame rate is the big thing that uh, they've been championing, championing with uh, these rumors about a 0.5 generation that, oh, things don't run at a high quality frame rate in HD. So if a newer, Newer hardware can run it at a 60 frames and the older hardware does 30, that's all good. Yes? Well, I would argue no. Mm. I mean, in Twitch shooters, if someone's running at 60 and someone's running at 30, there's an advantage. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's going to be really... Um, I don't like using the word interesting, but um, it's almost as though we're not being given... I'd just really love to see the roadmap that, um, that Microsoft or Sony have set for these things. What's their, what's their long-term play with this? What do they... What do they have in mind? Will we will we see Scorpio launch and then nothing for another several years? I doubt it, but it's well, yeah, it's kind of the dark. thing of if there'll be a Scorpio and then when there's a Scorpio two is the point when maybe is that when they leave Xbox One behind. So then it's suddenly one S Scorpio Scorpio two is the ecosystem because then mm. at that point you are upgrading. If, if you're gonna leave no one behind then someone who sticks with the original Xbox One, it will have been seven years when they have to upgrade and ditch their thing, which then why are we doing this upgraded <laughs> ecosystem anyway? Because then there's a seven-year console cycle. So yes. I think the, the thing is may also just be that they didn't think 4K was going to take off as quickly as it has. Very true. Yeah, they might have thought it was going the way of 3D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. A quick question. quick question. Has 4D, 4K actually taken off? Taken off in a big way, has it? Has it? Yeah. In a way, the prices of 4K TVs have gone yeah, yeah, by quite a bit. They seem to be adopted a fair bit more than sure, 3D yeah. is, at least. But it's just to run games at 4K native. I mean, I've, I've got a fairly decent PC, but I couldn't run a game at native 4K in any decent playable frame rate. You're spending thousands on a, on a rig that can do this. Sure. So yeah. I don't know what Microsoft has up their sleeve to make a console affordable that can boast this kind of power. <laughs> Did they actually say affordable at any point in the press conference? <laughs> no. So that's more me thinking what's a smart business move but yes touche <laughs> yeah. yeah very true look we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that oh, i want to cover some of the big titles that because it wasn't just hardware we we're also talking about games as well uh that were announced yes. at, at e3 um some really uh, oh, some of these titles um, we spoke about this earlier in the week tom but um what were some of the bigger titles on your radar over the past for the few days that, that e3 ran well as as uh, as bad as it is ethically in terms of my job i'm very much a bit of a playstation fanboy so there was a <laughs> lot of stuff in the Sony conference that caught my attention. The new God of War mm. is possibly the one of the biggest from their little announcement because while it had been rumoured, there was no real official uh, discussion around it before just that presentation started with an or 
orchestra of all things <laughs> played what essentially looks like to me if Naughty Dog made God of War. It is it is God of War the Last of Us edition, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, two characters walking around in a fairly open space, wittily quipping at each other. And then stuff <laughs> happens. It felt very Naughty Dog, Uncharted, Last of Us sort of thing. And then, you know, Kratos brought the rage. Actually, side note, this seems really interesting because they've confirmed it's Kratos, who's okay. an ancient Greek character, but it is also confirmed to be in a Norse setting. <laughs> so I'm going to... Are they saying that Norse mythology and Greek mythology happen in the same universe? Or is Kratos like a dimension-hopping warrior? Well, you know, uh, the part that I'm going to find really interesting uh, going forward. But yeah, that was fascinating. And VR hit the PlayStation conference in a fairly big way. Yes. Because, yes, we got the release date for PlayStation VR. So that's October 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, which And that's going to be very interesting for the VR market because this is really VR going into the, the, the regular person's home. I mean, uh, Oculus and HTC Vive and all that sort of stuff require very high-end specialist gear. Whilst if you got a PS4, PlayStation VR works. So yeah, that, well, that's interesting. <laughs> We're seeing the kit; it's affordable. It's great. What sort of titles did Sony announce will be available at launch that'll just be sort of optimized or written directly for PlayStation VR? Well, whether or not they're at launch kind of remains to be seen. They've mm. said this year, so whether or not it's launch day kind of is a bit up in the air. Uh, I'm super excited for Batman VR. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I heard about that. Batman is awesome, and uh, uh, (laughs) being Batman just sounds like the greatest thing ever. Um, Even if it's just, I don't know, being Bruce Wayne, putting on the armor, I think that'd do me. Mm. The other interesting one, they've got a release date for that PlayStation VR Worlds thing, which is a collection of various... It's basically a bunch of tech demos, but it's included included in it is that heist uh, gameplay that people might have seen around online, where, uh, you know, you use move controllers to, like, load a pistol and shoot out of a moving car and all that sort of stuff. Oh which um, looks like a lot of fun, but also the Great White Shark cage dive demo that we've seen floated mm-hmm. around is included mm-hmm. in that, which I have personally used. I used it at PAX last year, actually. Yes, mm-hmm. um, yes, which is fascinating. I'd highly recommend you all check it out uh, if and when you get your hands on it. I'm particularly looking forward to Resident Evil 7, which has actually been announced to be playable on yes. the, uh, the PlayStation VR. And it seems to be uh, almost like PT, actually, not so much like uh, Resident Evil five and six so it seems yeah. like return to form and horror games on vr are truly next level of frightening oh yes i played the um yeah speaking of resident evil 7 that reveal came with a, a demo released exclusively on the ps4 uh similar very similar to pt sort of a, we've announced this thing oh by the way you can play it now which is pretty cool yeah um but yes it will be fully playable in vr and it's very much a first person haunted house kind of thing i've played it regularly obviously i don't have a vr yet and the idea of playing it in vr gives me the creeps uh that'll be (laughs) fascinating i don't know whether i'll be able to hold up (laughs) (laughs) yeah cool nice one um i'm hoping that we don't get a lot of sort of influx of vr games sort of do you remember um and Yagi, you might be able to weigh in on this. Do you recall when Nintendo of America, they, they launched in the, well, Nintendo launched in the US and they had this flood of just sucky video games because everybody, because this was before they sort of tightened up and said, oh, you know, if you're a publisher, you can only publish this many games a year and they have to meet these standards. And uh, I'm hoping we're not going to see a huge flood of just really bad VR titles. I mean, you, you know. You will. And, and we already <laughs> are in the economy of Oculus and Vive, but in the... In the uh, the free marketplace, where the games that actually rise up, the ones that everyone's reviewing and rating and and downloading, the ones that actually are good tend to actually you know rise up and and get noticed. I mean, in terms of horror games, though, I mean, 
look, let's be honest, horror games pretty much fuel the Twitch streaming economy these days. Uh, mm. You know, so there's going to be so many of them that come through. And when you talk horror games, you really got to split that up between horror games that are have like that that scare, that instant frightening ah kind of effect, and then horror games that are much more thrillers, like your Silent Hills and and whatnot. And those mm. are the those are the games of substance that that we love. But there's definitely a place for the for the latter as well, especially <laughs> with VR. So I'm I'm not. I'm not over it yet. I think it's going to take us quite a while to actually get over just the the, the shock value of uh, scary games and VR. Uh, but we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, well, um, in terms of some, some maybe some of the bigger, weirder things to come out of E3, there were two games that sort of came out of nowhere that I think deserve sort of a little bit of attention. Um, moving away from PlayStation, maybe I'll come back to that, the other one in a minute. But uh, Bethesda had a bit of a wild card thrown in, which was the return of Prey, mm, uh, yes. which I don't know if anyone else has been following the development of a mm. sequel to Prey for the past couple of years. It has been, to put it lightly, a nightmare, where uh, it's changed development teams, it's changed owners, it's been cancelled, it was almost finished and then cancelled. The stories go everywhere. But, um, yeah, it seems that Bethesda has essentially scrapped the idea of a sequel to the original uh, Prey from 2006, which was a cool, like, sci-fi semi-portal-like mm. shooter, and it now seems like a mind-bending horror alien isolation-style game with a really weird, creepy trailer that <laughs> they just dropped out of nowhere. <laughs> it's it's very bizarre, but there's actually can't do this with with Prey and and Quake actually, which they also mm. uh, announced. And it's weird because these are these are franchises that that I'm interested in. Uh, and the games that were on display did not really look like the franchises I am used to. So it could mm-hmm. have been called mm-hmm. Prey. It could have been called anything else. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious as to exactly, uh, did, does it have any callbacks to the original title or that uh, you know Northern American Indian kind of heritage or things like that? Or is it just flat out? just leveraging that that name well that's what we don't know yet but i imagine it is just leveraging the name because i guess it caught my attention i'll give it that in terms of it oh the new prey oh my god oh my god oh my god but (laughs) yeah i i agree with you there yag it's sort of the if you're going to make a new thing call it a new thing (laughs) i mean don't use prey unless it's part of that series but jumping back so we were talking about PT before. K- Hideo Kojima made his huge <laughs> return to E3 uh, after being ousted from Konami and uh, mm-hmm. the Metal Gear Solid Five chaos of last year and the cancellation of Silent Hills. He finally returned to uh, reveal his new game for his new studio uh, called Kojima Productions. It has the weirdest name I think I've ever heard. It's called Death Stranding. <laughs> and it's starring Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead and Boondock Saints, just like Silent Hills was going to. And it had, I remember, I, I was sadly unable to see the trailer live when it happened, but I got a message from a friend that said, what the hell is Kojima smoking in that new trailer? It's got Norman Reedus with a baby and a dead whale and all these other things. And I said, oh, no, that's just, you know, it's just Kojima. He's not high or anything. He's just weird. And then I got home and I watched it and, w- and I messaged him back and said, no, no, seriously, yeah, what is he smoking? Yeah, that, it's just weird. <laughs> um, we know nothing about what this uh, game okay. is about, what it will be, but we, it is... We don't incredibly. need to know anything about it. It's a Kojima game. Even when you play it, you probably won't actually know anything about it. <laughs> uh, I do just want to add, though, wasn't his entrance 
so glorious and rock star oh. level as he's oh. like like uh, appears at the back of the stage and then the floor lights up as he's walking down it. It was just <laughs> I mm. I don't I don't play uh, many of Kojima's games uh, personally, but I love the fact that a person like that exists in the gaming industry from a, a wacky artistic point of view and actually has the funding and fan base to get away with just weird shit. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Oh, Kojima's a favourite of mine. Metal Gear Solid 1's my favourite game of all time, so I'll pretty much play anything with his name on it. Well, the middle of the calendar year not only marks the advent of conventions, 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 such as E3, but we also start to see some really great toy sales begin. In particular, it's a good opportunity for LEGO fans to save some cash and stock up on all those kits they've been otherwise hesitant in purchasing. Bricking around Michael Dolly is all over what's on sale and where. What can you tell us, mate? June, July is definitely the busiest time of the year for mm. anybody, anybody looking to buy LEGO. This year, Big W was kind of a... Um, a good option for a lot of people. Um, not only did they, did they have some great prices, um, but they were also offering a 10% price beat. Um, so if you happen oh. to see a, a lower advertised price, they would then kind of beat that by 10%. And there was a few items in another catalogue that were about one cent cheaper. So I think there were actually a couple of people that managed to pull that off and, and go, well, that's one cent cheaper. So <laughs> so they managed to get the extra 10% off on that. Yeah, nice. Um, Unfortunately, that one kind of finishes up in a couple of days, um, but you've still got sales from uh, Maya, uh, Toys R Us, and Kmart uh, mm. running till about the middle of July, so there's still kind of plenty of bargains out there if you're in the market for some Lego. The other, in terms of toy sales, the, the big issue is what's happening with Target. Um, right. There's been lots of stories about, there was a news story that came out and it was kind of a bit ambiguously worded. And a lot of people kind of read it as Target's going to stop selling toys. Yeah, I've yeah I've heard bits <laughs> and, and pieces about this. Yeah, yeah, and everybody kind of went, "Wait, what?" And it was going to be this massive uh, drama that Target was going to stop selling toys. What they were actually saying is that this year they're not really. What they're having is a toy event. They're not calling it a sale because they're going to be advertising their new lower everyday prices on toys. Um, and they're also scrapping Christmas lay-by, which has put a lot of people oh. offside. I mean, Christmas lay-by has always been a, a major part of the, the mid-year toy sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kmart got rid of that a few years ago, um, and there was a, a bit of controversy about that. But now that Kmart's kind of taking over the operations of, of Target, they're kind of moving in the same direction and, and ending that, that mid-year toy sale. Do you think um, the the scrapping of the Christmas lay-by uh, or the or the lay-by in the mid-year pickup around the Christmas period um, thing is just because they're sick of people saying, yeah, I'll lay-by all this stuff and then just not picking it up and having a ton of stock around that they can't do anything with? Yeah, I, I think there's there's kind of – that's kind of the, the major thing. They don't – they just don't have the budget to sit on stock for six months. <laughs> According to what I've been told from Target, they've – had a lot of feedback that kids are changing their mind on the toys that they want in that six month period. And they're getting a lot of canceled late buys. Um, So they've kind of gone, well, we'll just lower the prices permanently sort of thing. Whether you can actually believe that or not, it's a a completely different story. Um, Target's definitely not kind of doing that well in terms of their financial position. So I think that the fact that they don't want to sit on stock for six months mm-hmm. is probably the bigger issue. That makes sense. I, and this is, I might reach out to you, Yoga. I'm not sure whether you have any um, any sort of informed opinion regarding this, but I recall 
Target, Kmart, Big W, they used to be the place for me to go. I'm sort of drifting away from Lego, but, you know, to purchase video games, I typically wouldn't walk into an EB Games or something like that. If I wanted to buy from a brick-and-mortar um, reseller or retailer, it, it would be one of those three. And, and now it seems like they're all sort of drying up. Uh, they're, not, they're not stocking a lot of titles. They seem to be almost afraid to put them on the shelves for fears that they're not going to be purchased. Do, do you, have you sort of noticed that trend as well? Oh, look, I really think it all depends on, on which retailer that you're you're talking about because all of them have a very specific target demographic that they they market and promote to and this isn't just with video games with with uh, all their ranges and things like this when they're a large department store that doesn't specialize in just one thing uh what they're trying to actually get people to do is come in to buy one thing but then impulse buy something else mm. which is why they have like the large range they're a range one-stop shop it's the walmart concept so with uh you know your targets and kmarts and uh, and things like that. I mean, from a video game point of view, they're very much targeting the non-hardcore uh, specialist gamers, you know. And the reason they can have their prices so low to actually uh, compare to your your EBs and things like that is because they can they justifiably don't make any money off those game sales. They make their money on the sales that people, the other things that people buy in the store. Um, but the games is what brings people in to actually uh-huh. purchase them. Uh, so it's it's just a different mentality, and a lot of the times. You know, uh, Kmart and, and Target and things like that. It's it's parents, it's grandparents, it's mm. young kids. It's it's not your your target gaming demographic. It's more your your wider general demographic. You'll you'll always notice that at those uh, those department stores, there's uh, there is a big focus on Nintendo titles uh, a mm. little bit more than others uh, a lot of the time. So yeah, I don't I, I don't know how much they're all struggling. Uh, you know, individually, I think a lot of specialist stores tend to struggle obviously look at you know the what happened with dick smith but uh you know out outside of that large ones yeah i don't know yeah no i do i do yeah i completely agree now that you've mentioned sort of yeah well i mean as you said they've got their own their, their target market and unfortunately their target market is everybody seemingly so yeah tough job it's why um when you look at eb and, and jb and things like that they're the ones that get the pre-order specials the collector's editions the you know, uh, you're a fan of this game, pre-order it now, and you'll get this exclusive statue that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to cost you like 20 or $30 more, and you can't get this anywhere else. That's because <laughs> they they know that the fans of these particular games and titles, like the, the, the more hardcore gamers, want those things, want the, those, those additional features, and they will come into a specialist store. Uh, whereas the other larger chains, and, and JB actually does this a bit brilliantly as well, to be fair. They actually price down all their mm, games because mm. they know and let's be honest you walk into a jb to buy a game good chance you're gonna walk out of there with a couple of five to ten dollar blu-rays as well yeah, you know? yeah um so it's that mentality and concept that kind of keeps keeps those prices and keeps that c- competition alive yeah totally uh, but moving forward into sort of the third and fourth quarters of the year we're starting to see or we get the opportunity to see what the lego group's plans are with regard to sort of new and upcoming kits and i Given to understand you've been keeping an eye on the release schedule, is there anything you can detail that we might be or should be expecting? Yeah, I mean, usually LEGO brings out two catalogues a year. So the catalogues are the sets that are going to be available at retailers. They don't include any of the kind of exclusive sets that you can only buy at at one particular store, Mm. but they give you a good idea of um, when you can kind of expect to see stuff in stores. A few weeks ago, the June catalogue was kind of finally put up online um, and that's kind of given us a good idea of when all of the, the themes are going to bring out their new sets mm. so a lot of the, the kind of uh, creator stuff is in stores now um, August you've got a lot of 
the friends stuff coming through and september you've got some technic stuff they kind of spread the themes out throughout the year so they're not just kind of dumping a whole bunch of stock on the stores all at once so if you you head to the the bricking around site you can see a link to that catalog just have a flick through it and if there's something in particular that you're after then that'll give you an idea of when you can expect that yeah perfect in terms of the exclusives the uh, Big Ben set that was recently announced is now available. Um, oh, nice. That's a massive creator expert I, set. I was going to say, kind how of, many pieces is that? Yeah, it must be like, a few thousand maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's yep. a, a really big set. kind of goes along with the bridge that they brought out. Yes, yes, so I recall that. They kind of match in together. Um, the other one that should be available for VIPs um, in a couple of weeks is the Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was just announced. <laughs> that looks really good. I've, yeah. I've got the... Cool combi and the mini that they've brought out uh, and it kind of fits in with those so looking forward to the release of that one yeah cool. the australian price on that one is actually really good too it's 149 for that which is kind of a little bit lower than what lego probably could have got away with on that hmm. being a creator set the the markup's fairly good on those yeah sure what about things like um license sets we're talking superheroes <sighs> because i was just talking to somebody in my lug it was only today, and we we're discussing new Rogue One sets. Do you happen to know anything about that by chance? The, Heard anything? The, the Rogue One sets, there have been a couple of pictures come out about mm. those a while ago, um, but they were kind of very prelim- preliminary, so we're not sure if those are, are kind of final. Mm. The There's just a placeholder page in the catalogue for that, saying that more information is coming soon about ah, those. Yes, They're always course. very <laughs> kind of tightly locked down on, on Star yeah. Wars stuff. Yeah. Um, you should be seeing those uh come through in september mm. would be my mm. guess for the, the rogue one sets yes uh just quickly we were talking about e3 earlier the sure. lego news out of e3 was next wave of lego dimensions sets ah uh, of course there's some some really weird stuff in there um you're talking a team sets you've got A-team. a goon yeah a team you've got a Knight Rider set, so there's going to be a Lego minifigure version of David Hasselhoff. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got Goonies. There's uh, going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog oh. set. So yeah, cool. Cool. Lego Lego Dimensions, they've just kind of gone, okay, what can we add to this? And <laughs> somebody's just gone through with a, a pen and ticked off on everything. So it's um, a really odd mix <laughs> of characters that are coming to that. They should... Start appearing in September as well, yeah, that next wave. Well, as we made note of at the beginning of the show, our guest panel member for this month is Guy Blomberg, content manager for both Oz Comic Con and PAX Australia. Uh, Guy, we'll talk about your role and both Oz Comic Con and PAX Oz in a moment, but I'm keen to hear sure. about your journey prior to that. I mean, what sort of things were you drawn to? Uh, I mean, sort of video games, comic books, computers, whatever, that sort of really started to shape you know, who you are and the sort of role you have now, you know, sort of give us a little insight into what makes you a bit of a proud geek, so to speak. Oh, the journey, the journey. <laughs> um, uh, video games, man. I'm, I'm completely 100% a video and computer game uh, fanatic. I mean, you know, as all of us kind of have some other particular niches that we, we dabble in, uh, you know, I, I still, I collected uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Transformer toys and, and comics and uh, Pizza Hut collectibles and all this kind of stuff uh but yeah seriously video games ever yeah. since uh the atari 2600 was the first one i ever got my hands on uh wow. 
back when I was a kid, um, and Ghostbusters and Pitfall, and from there, uh, you know, NES, Mega Drive, I actually had the, the Sega stack, which is the uh, Sega Mega Drive, the Mega CD, the 32X, oh, yeah. uh, and then the Sonic and Knuckles with the, the, the hook, uh, the expansion that got on the top of it that you could plug an original Sonic game into it, yes. which was this, and, and, <laughs> the, and the Game Genie as well, which is uh, this tower of Sega, yeah. uh, which was uh, absolutely awesome. Do you still have um, a lot of your old consoles? Do you still keep them around, surely? No, I, I don't actually. I, years ago, I, I did a, a, a rent a video game cocktail bar, and uh, I put all my consoles and collectibles uh, in the the display cabinets uh, in the bar, and just through the, through the through the years of running a bar, it's it's a bit of a hazy experience, and <laughs> stuff just got replaced or lost, or I just lost it all, and I just ah. yeah didn't didn't don't know where it went. Maybe it got stolen. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Like you said, hazy days. But uh, now, however, uh, we're talking. Uh, you know, your your role, and that was the mana bar, correct? And that was actually yeah, it yeah. was yeah. Yeah, I heard, I'm, I'm really bummed I never got a chance to visit. Um, oh, well, see, you're the reason it shut down then. <laughs> Don't put this on me. People Come like on. you. No, it's fine. Actually, it was, it was fine. It was, it was very successful. We, our biggest issue was we weren't able to get a, a longer license in Melbourne to actually go past 11 p.m., which is a bit of a killer in Melbourne, so yeah. it was a bit of a struggle. No. But the concept lives on. Look, up by all uh, accords uh, and reports, and obviously I did a little reading um, after you were we're happy to, to join us on the show. And yeah, I have read it was wildly successful. And I think mm. it's not just saying this because you're on the show. I think it's an awesome idea. And it's one of those ideas, you know, somebody has a great idea when they think of something that when it, when it comes to life and when it's a reality and when it's something you can, something tangible you can go and interact with, you think, why has nobody done this before? <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah. fantastic job with it. And um, yeah, it's a shame that, it, that it's no longer around. But um, now obviously today your, your role is a little more centered, well, a lot more centered around uh, Oz Comic Con and PAX Oz. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what does that what does that sort of entail chiefly? I mean, the, the title alone certainly gives me the impression that it's a pretty great gig, but sort of in a little more detail, what does it involve? Well, I mean, when we're talking content, I guess uh, that's I, I think of content as in almost anything at the show that's not uh, around the actual exhibitors on the expo floor that are there with their booths and whatnot. So mm. uh, the content of the show relates to uh, panels to any other area that we're actually curating or function, uh, functioning or putting together. Uh, the guests, the the music, the concerts, the community activations and, and work that we do with the community to actually get them, bring them involved and uh, any uh, anything and everything else, really. Uh, you know, it's this broad uh, amount of things that actually happen at a convention where you've got tens of thousands of people there to actually keep them all entertained over the weekend. And it really does take, uh, you know, no exaggeration, a good year of planning and, and actually putting this stuff together. Yeah, great. So you sort of... Pretty lucky, you get to wear quite a lot of hats and you would sort of get to liaise with, uh, you know, quite a lot of, well, use the term loosely, you get to liaise with quite a lot of A-listers, so to speak, really, really liaising with people that, you know, sort of bringing people to um, to Oz Comic Con and PAX. Is that a lot of your role? Obviously, you said the word content. Um, and I did, I did. You know, I mean, with Com- Comic Con is a different beast. I guess keep in mind, like, with my background in video games and the video game industry, I was initially actually brought on specifically for PAX. And then when... Uh, when Reed Pop, which is a company I work for, when we uh, we partnered uh, with Oz Comic Con, you know, I was, you know, I got involved across like the content, of the rest of the show. But we already had and already have uh, talent managers that specifically look after celebrities uh, at uh, the show, leading up to the show. It, that is that is a whole other level of uh, 
of content curation, <laughs> you could say. I mean, dealing, working with the communities and, and the industry and things like that is, is one thing, but actually having to micromanage uh, celebrities and whatnot is, uh, I, well, that's, that's a whole other level that, uh, that I'm, I'm kind of happy that I'm not involved in that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll take your word for it then. Um, but, I mean, when we were, referred to, we were talking about Comic-Con and Paxos, <clears throat> I mean, to me anyway, and I'm sure you'll probably agree, that these conventions, they're really more, they're about more than just celebrating video games and, and comic books and, and the like. And I'm sure, Kyle, you'll agree with this. It's, it's you know, not just about bringing those things to Australia. There are probably a sleuth of benefits that, that uh, conventions like this sort of um, generate. What are some of the things you've noticed in, in your time? At- sure, sure. Uh, you know, I, I gotta, I, I'm going to throw this question to Kyle. Carl, what do you think is is the thing about the conventions these days that actually separate them from just being like turn up and play a game or turn up and meet a celebrity? Um, I think it totally depends on the convention. PAX is a really good example because I feel like it strikes the balance of having like, you know, a little bit of play game stuff, a little bit of selling things, but it's mainly about getting, you know, a thousand or so people that you can kind of hang out with. Uh, like it's it's really about community and like building like a little bit of a society where you you know you can go along and you know that there'll be some people with some shared interests and you can go from there. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but just to expand on that, I, I guess the the and especially around the content role, it really is about curating and creating a space that encourages people to actually interact with each other. Pax being a brilliant example. All the mm free play spaces that we have you know that we have a handheld area that's filled with hundreds of bean bags encouraging people to mm-hmm. to play you know break out their 3ds and whatnot or mobile phones and play games with one another and that that encourages complete strangers that are actually brought together by the shared interest and passion to actually talk to each other and communicate with each other that's you know the very first uh, experience i ever had with pax when i when i signed my contract to actually you know work with repop and penny arcade very exciting but i flew over and went to pax prime in seattle and uh one of the first you know i, I went over there and i'm like oh so what do you you know what do you want me to do i'm, I'm here now i'm working there it was robert Koo that worked for penny arcade and, and he was like look just go and experience the show and the first thing i did was as as we're used to in australian conventions of the before that especially like go to the expo floor find the game that you want to play that you haven't played yet and line up to play it yeah, yeah. so i'm in line waiting to play whatever the game was i think it was a just cause or i can't remember but uh i had my 3ds with me and uh and the guy in front of me had a 3ds he's like oh do you want do you want to play you know and, uh, and oh. i can't remember what the game i can't remember what the game was but whatever it was start playing and then the, the two people behind us had a 3ds as well and then we all got talking about uh, we made sure we street pass, and we we're talking about you know what are coming 3ds games and just got talking with this group of people as we we're waiting in line and we actually stepped out of line and because one of the guys was like oh there's this uh handheld tournament uh around this particular game that we're all playing it starts in like 10 minutes we mm-hmm. stepped out of line that we're lining up to go and play this game to go and enter this tournament with these brand new friends literally like friends that are just made mm-hmm. on a whim at this convention and that to me is is uh, the essence of of pax do you know what i mean Oh, totally. Like, I live in a six-person nerd share house, and literally I can trace every one of those friendships to about four different conventions. Yeah, that's great. Nice. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things. So, and that's a great example. I mean, we, we have a, a little bit of a laugh about it, but, yeah, truth be told, those conventions, they, they do generate those friendships, and so it's, it is an amazing thing. It's not putting it lightly. So, uh, But I thought what would be a good idea to do uh, to finish this Minterview, as I've decided to dub it, a mini interview. Uh, All right. <clears throat> a bit of a short quiz I've titled, Who's That Guy? 
So, oh, Guy, I'm oh, going to oh. ask you five quick questions uh, about Oz Comic Con and PAX Australia. I know you said oh, you're in high spirits, so you should be well primed uh, to answer these. Uh, well, not, maybe, maybe not to answer them correctly, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give an answer a good go. That's, oh, that's all we're expecting here. Uh, basically designed to test your trivia metal. Uh, of course, provide our listeners with a few facts as well, so I can assure you it's nothing too strenuous. Um, we'll see how we go. But, uh, yeah, fantastic invention, so we'll hopefully get some facts out of these. So are you ready? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> all righty. In which year did Oz Comic Con launch? 2000. And 11. Kyle, do you have an answer for that question? Maybe perhaps you'd... Uh, did your answer... Because uh, I, I, I got it wrong. I'm Let, pretty sure I got it wrong. <laughs> do, I ha- do I have a few seconds to think about it? Um, oh, you mean Brown Web to uh, find no, out? No, it takes me to... Um, look, I mean, I remember William Shatner, I think, was in the first thing. It was probably only about five or six years ago. So I'm guessing it's about maybe 2009. I hope, I, I hope I've got this correct, because I'm going to be very embarrassed if it's not, but, and I, I read and I read and I read and I found the answer several times. <laughs> the answer I found, I'm not going to say it's the correct one now, because I'm speaking to the content manager of Oz Comic Con, and somebody <laughs> that's that, right. somebody that yeah, attends these things all the time. The answer I'm slightly drunk. Okay. So, Hold on, what was your answer? My answer was 2012, but I could be incorrect. No, you no, you might you might be entirely wrong. Um, I found the Wikipedia page. It's totally right. Also, people who actually know math will be... <laughs> We'll also notice the um, weird thing that I just said where I'm like, oh, it's five or six years ago. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. I, t- yeah. I don't know who ran those numbers, but that's not five or six years ago. <laughs> totally didn't want to say anything, but I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so hopefully we can, we can, we can pick it up from here, um, sort of <laughs> start to get into the, uh, into the green, so to speak. So, so what dates this year does Pax Oz begin and end? Uh, Pax Oz is from the 4th to the 6th of November. Yes. Nailed it. All right. I knew you'd have that one. I knew you'd get it right. 50-50. I'm on a roll. This is great. That's right. So how many Oz Comic Con events are being held this year and where are they being held? Uh, There are five and they're being held in Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, Melbourne and Perth. Very nice. Very good. We're, We're... It's all up here. I've actually been hired by ReadPop just to review your uh, performance, and these questions yeah. basically will determine whether or not you uh, get to extend your contract. So, um, I need a sixty sixty percent, you know, <laughs> achievement rate to be able to continue being employed. Okay, no, let's let's do it. It's not bad. So, okay, so Paxos hosts uh, keynote speakers who cover a particular subject matter. They're held in several theater rooms. Uh, one of those is the Kookaburra Theater. There are several. Can you name three others? <laughs> Uh, yes, the uh, Wombat Theatre, Galar Theatre, Fruit Bat Theatre, Drop Bear Theatre, uh, off the top of my head. Yes, no, is that, that's, yes. That is more than enough. Well done. That's perfect. So you, you've passed. That's just, that's, that is your 60% because this is the final question. And this is just a what, what, one, one little thing as well with those, with those theatre names. A little bit of trivia uh, that not many people know, but they are named specifically after Australian animals, but no, based no on way. their position to the ground so the two theaters that are on the ground is the main oh. theater and the wombat theater because the wombat is a ground dwelling creature and then at the front of the show you have creatures that live in the trees or whatnot so the theoretical hypothetical uh drop bear so to speak yes uh and uh, then the the rooms that are on level two in the convention center are all flying creatures so kookaburra galah and fruit bat i never I'm gonna say i love that, that. Yeah, that's as soon great. as I learned that fact, it made navigating packs like that much easier. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it see, does. people maybe it should be a well-known fact then, because it's. Uh, I like, thought it was because it... people who were just around the con were telling me that. Oh well, good. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm glad this has been picked up. Yeah, perfect. Okay, 
Final question, and then yes. it'll all be over. True or false? An Oz Comic Con Platinum Pass at the time of writing on the official website <laughs> is worth $500. Uh, <laughs> true. Kyle, do you happen to... It's a false. Without browsing the web cloud, do you have a... <laughs> It is false. The answer is $600. Indeed. Um, nicely done. You will be pleased to know you have passed. So, yes, I will be informing your employee you've done a very good job. Fantastic. Do I win anything? <laughs> what do I win? Well, I want something. Jeez, oh, oh, I'll have to... Um, a notebook, notepad, a pen. I mean, I don't know what, a, how you'd like these shipped out. but Look, it's it's all good. I'll pour myself another drink as a reward. You can do that. That's fine. I will. I didn't. I wasn't aware you were drinking on the show. Goodness. Oh, I mean, uh, of, of soft drink. What are you talking uh, of, about? Of course, yeah. We're yeah. responsible. That's right. Um, it's good to see that the Australian Game of Podcast attitude is alive and well. <laughs> always, always, never forget. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Oz, Oz Comic Con and, and PAX and, and geeky events in general, um, what better time to talk about them during the, the June-July period and who better than canned geeks Kyle Evans. Uh, Kyle, what gigs can a budding convention goer expect to attend in the coming weeks because we've got some pretty big conventions up ahead. Um, we've actually just joined forces with someone. Uh, Can Geek used to be myself and Will Owen. Um, Will is kind of busy with his whole career thing. Mm, um, mm. He's a video game academic, so I guess that's important. Yes. Um, so I've joined forces with a new person who actually runs BerserkerCon. So that's one of the conventions you can visit later in the year. It's a tabletop and gaming convention happening in New South Wales. But between our two lists, because they're running a Facebook group, we found that we each had about 50-odd events that we didn't know of. Mm. So, you know, they're the leg, they're the, we're the arms, you know, we kind of joined forces, we made kind of a lopsided Voltron. So now we've got a lot more <laughs> stuff coming up. Um, like there's three pop culture event conventions alone, two tabletop gaming events, like there's so much happening. So as, as well as BerserkerCon, which, um, uh, you know, Hannah, uh, the new kind of can geek partner is, is running. We also have Looking for Gamers, which I'm actually flying out. I'm prepping, you know, I'm prepping Resistance, I'm prepping Avalon, prepping um, mm-hmm. Hanabi and Noir and Ku, a whole bunch of games, and I'm going to be running um, games looking for gamers. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and the other thing that I've got on my list that I want to talk about is that we're probably also going to be changing our name. Um, right. We've actually taken up Geek Events Australia as a forwarding domain. We're working on uh, tweaking the logo and stuff, but um, we'll, be, we'll be making the transition after looking for gamers and after BerserkerCon. Sure. Um, actually, it works out really well because I have a whole stack of Kangeek cards, so I am going to be a um, bit of a promotion whore um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to looking for gamers. Um, so come play the game with me, and I will give you a business card. Very cool. Or two, or three. <laughs> well, in 1988, DC Comics published Alan Moore's Batman The Killing Joke, a graphic novel which today is considered by many as the definitive origin story of the Joker and one of the best Batman stories ever told. Look, fast forward 28 years though and in just a few short weeks we're going to be treated to a feature-length film adaptation of The Killing Joke. Mal, you've got this covered and we've been excited about it for months now, probably a little bit longer uh, even. But for the sake of those listening who haven't read the book, shame on you. Uh, I was hoping you could start this discussion maybe with a quick overview of the plot or maybe even perhaps dig into a little bit of who Alan Moore is for some who aren't aware of the author. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Alan Moore is the author. Alan Moore would be the guy we know from Watchmen, V for Vendetta, From Hell, League of Extraordinary mm. Gentlemen, mm. and a, a list of other stuff. He he writes great stuff that inspires 
great adaptations of his things. He's not a fan of any other the adaptations of his stuff, and and this uh, animated film is going to go right on that list of things that he's never seen and he disowns and wants nothing to do with. Um, <laughs> but he creates these great stories that are just so full of ideas; they inevitably spawn other ideas. Um, yeah. So the gist of this is the Joker trying to prove that all it takes is one bad day for someone to be just as crazy as he is. Mm. And, and he chooses his target as Commissioner Gordon, and his means of giving Gordon a bad day is a rather brutal attack on Gordon's daughter, Barbara Gordon. So, yeah, a trigger warning for anyone thinking of seeing this or reading this. It is not pleasant the way he attacks Barbara. Mm. He's, he's trying to push a hardened cop over the edge um, and chooses a rather soft target. Well, what he thinks is a soft target, let's be, let's be honest, this is Batgirl. Um, he doesn't quite realise that at the time. And, uh, yes. and, and again, this comes back to that idea that he's creating things out of, he's creating ideas that spawn new ideas. He, this attack on Batgirl then inspired DC to, to run with her being paralysed by this attack and creating the really interesting character of Oracle, the wheelchair-bound, tech-savvy mm-hmm. um, character behind Batman. But this story, which is being adapted into this film, yeah, it's it's a it's a relatively simple story that it's about Batman, uh, Joker trying to push Gordon's buttons, and along the way he pushes Batman's buttons, and it boils down to this ultimate showdown that. Uh, is about whether or not Batman and Joker will kill each other. And while there's not a lot of laughs in the Joker's plot this time, it does finish at a fun house in, I think, the Tunnel of Love. Yeah. And, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, so, the, the, you know, the Joker's got a, a twisted sense of humour mixed in amongst all of the brutality, mm, mm. brutality along the way. Um, in the US, it's got an R rating. Um, yeah, so, interesting to see how it's rated here. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think we might have been speaking about this a little earlier in the week, but last I think last you heard it was possibly being given an M rating. In yeah, I'd been I'd been told that surprising. the cinema release is going to be an M rating. I'm not sure about the DVD release. Um, yeah, well, well, cinema release. Uh, I want to focus on that. In in if you happen to be in the Canberra area or perhaps keen for a road trip, uh, I'm given to understand uh, there is one of the cinema complexes there. Now, you uh, Impact Comics was given pretty lucky to get some tickets um, to hand on to your customers um, to host a session. That's since sold out. Um, yep. No surprise, obviously. Very popular, no doubt. Uh, but I think there are still some tickets available in the neighbouring cinema complex. Yeah, yeah. Can- so following how quickly that sold out. They opened up a second cinema right next door. Uh, they're going to be showing it at exactly the same time. And there are, last I heard, there are tickets still available to yeah, that. perfect. So. And, and that was, uh, what was the name of the theatre, my That is Palace Electric. Palace Electric. So, so it. it's, the, it's the Canberra branch of the Palace cinema chains. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, let's uh, let's make the jump from from DC Comics to Marvel Comics now because I'm pretty keen to discuss uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers. So this is a new series. I'm um, giving to understand, uh, written by Nick Spencer. Uh, only yeah. two issues been published to date, I believe, but the story is taking a very intriguing angle, to say the least. And for those of you who haven't read it, uh, this series allows us to gain a pretty oh, fascinating insight into Cap's past. Um, Mal, what can you tell us about the fact that Steve's link to Hydra is more than just the fact that he's known for wanting to defeat them? Issue one came out last month of Captain America Steve Rogers. 
well, Steve Rogers, Captain America, the way it is on the cover is a bit sure. odd. And the big thing with that was Nick Spencer, do, Nick Spencer writes a, a great comic. He, he paces it really, really nicely. I can't, it's completely drawn a blank on who the artist was, but the layouts were terrific. It was a great adventure heist thing. They were bringing in all these flag waving characters like Jack Flag and all these other ones were there. And then at the end, spoilers, if you haven't, if you're a month behind on your comics, Captain America is put in an awkward position where he has to throw one of the heroes out the window mm. and turns around and says, Hail Hydra. Basically yeah. mm. revealing that, that the all-American boy is a Hydra agent. Now, it's, it's the internet exploded. I think more people had an opinion on this than have ever read a Captain America comic in their lives. Mm. Chris Evans apparently was getting asked to sign Hail Hydra on things <laughs> and refusing blankly to to sign those people's things. Yeah, sure. So people felt pretty passionately about this. But to really get the position, um, you've got to take a step back and realise that for the last few months, Steve Rogers hasn't been the big, muscly, blue-eyed, blonde-haired vision of Captain America that we're all used to. His secret soldier serum stopped working and he turned into an old man. The thanks to the uh, touch of a very powerful little girl named Kobik or Koblik, he got his powers back. So, so there are shenanigans um, going on here in Steve Rogers. Yeah, the, the, all is not what it seemed in the first issue. Like there, there is the twist. I, I'd actually encourage everybody to take a deep breath. All is not what it seems. It's well worth a read. Go out and get issue two and find out. I, I'll, I'll spoil a little bit in a minute. But I think the more interesting story here is why Cap got ran across this girl. As always with Marvel, some of their coolest stories and their cleverest ideas are hidden away in throwaway stories. They had this whole story in the lead up here, called, uh, which was called um, Avengers Standoff. And it was about Pleasant Hill. And the whole gist of it was they were taking supervillains and they were warping their minds to convince them that they were all American little country town people and putting them in this creepy little wayward pines town and just expecting them to go on living like they were just like the local butcher and the local baker <laughs> and, and stuff. You know, not, not at all thinking that possibly this is a time bomb waiting to go off. Yeah, yeah. One of the cleverest ideas that they've had over at Marvel. Really, really cool, super, super creepy idea. They completely undersold it, didn't stick the landing on the thing, mm. and they're just sort of using it as the springboard for this story. And I was just like, oh, man, a swing and a miss. Mm. It's so... Like, what I'm really hoping is that's an idea that one of the movie guys plays with down the track, like that we get to see a bit more played out in, I don't know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, or in one of the movies or... Or something because you could build a whole series around it mm. like it's it's just the creepiest soup you know it's that classic sort of the good guys doing the wrong thing idea well we've reached the end of episode four it's been a great ride and we've definitely covered some really exciting news uh, as usual i would like to thank everybody for joining me and an extra special thank you to guy blombo guy like, I really appreciate you've taken the time to hang out with us, and I hope you've enjoyed your time on the show. I've, I've had fun. Yeah, no worries. No, I've, I've, had, I've had a good time, yeah, and good. I've had a couple of drinks, and it's always nice talking about uh, the shows yeah, uh, that good. I work on. So, yeah. So, just for reference and for people that are listening, where can we find you online? Twitter, twitter.com slash yugstar, instagram.com slash yugstar, pretty much probably anything 
slash Yugstar, Y-U-G-S-T-A-R, is, is where I tend to live. So other than that, uh, come to PAX Australia, come to Oz Comic Con. Uh, I'll be around. If you can find me, congratulations. I'll give you a gold star. Uh, if you can stop me, anyway. Um, there you go. But, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Speaking of self-plugging, if you want to hear more of the Defrag Podcast, simply head to www.soundcloud.com forward slash the Defrag Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. There you'll find a lot more information about uh, all of our panel members, the amazing work they do, some of our guests. We're very fortunate to speak to some really cool people. So, look, the Defrag Podcast will return in a month's time. Until then, take care and happy listening. Mwah!